Well, I haven't had a chance to talk since December 23rd, and for me, that's like forever, and it's like forgetting uh, how to do this, so um, just cut me a little slack as I try to re-engage. We're in the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 15 today. Violet Bailey and Samuel Booth were engaged in 1941. One day, while they were walking through the English countryside, they got into an argument. Sometimes couples get into arguments. And it was a heated argument. In fact, Violet became so angry that she took off her engagement ring and she threw it as far as she could. Violet and Samuel continued their conflict, and on and on they argued, and finally they apologized, and they asked each other for forgiveness, and they kissed, and they made up. That's a good part of the story. But now they had to find the ring. And so they set out together to look for this ring. And they searched and they searched and they hunted for this ring. And they got down on their hands and knees and they crawled through the grass. And they could not find this ring. Two months later, they were married and life went on. Years passed. And they had a family. And the story of this lost ring became a very important part of the family history. Samuel died in 1993 after 52 years of marriage. Fifteen years later, his grandson would have an idea. In 2008, he bought a metal detector. And he went out to the field where the ring was lost and in about two hours, lo and behold, he found the ring. With great pride and joy, he delivered that prized possession back to his grandmother and put it into her hands. And years and years of memories flashed through her mind. She was totally astonished and overwhelmed. That which was lost had been found 67 years later. Jesus would have liked that story. Something was lost and something was found. It had sad parts and it had a happy ending. Jesus told stories about lost things. Things that were lost and things that were found and things that were sad and things that had a happy ending. Luke 15 is sometimes viewed as one parable with three parts. It's all 32 verses. Sometimes it's viewed as three parables, but one message. And that's kind of how we're going to approach it. Three different parables. We're going to look at the first two parables, the first two stories in Luke 15 this morning. You'll probably be grateful that I did not choose all three parables this morning. I have tried that before. And it takes me a while. So, 
Luke chapter uh, 15, verses 1, if you'll follow in your text. And I hope uh, each week, if you need a Bible, you'll grab one when you come in. That's why we have Bibles on the tables. Uh, There's a page number. Uh, This is on page 729. We'll tell you every week which page number it's on. Uh, Because, you know, we expect that when people come to the bridge, they're going to be people who... um, have a lot of experience with the Bible, and they've been reading it for years. And then there are people who are brand new and their Bible's not familiar with, and that's awesome because we just want to help people begin to connect with God and connect with His Word. And you have to start somewhere, and it's okay. And I know exactly what that's like as an adult. Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Him, but... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What was he thinking? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So let's have a look at this passage. First, we have the lost sheep story in verses uh, 1 through 7. The occasion, verse 1, and it's about now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, and that's a problem. And uh, it's going to create a problem for part of his audience. Jesus gathered people almost wherever he went. And if you are familiar with the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we just see that over and over. People wanted to hear him teach. Hopefully, they might see a miracle. And some people went to Jesus because they needed a miracle. Tax collectors and sinners were social outcasts to the religious Jews of the first century. I know a lot of this is just review for some of us. Tax collectors were unpopular because they earned their living by collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, the uh, invading government and uh, the occupying government. They made their wages by charging the tax and then putting their salary on top of it. And their salary was not regulated. They get to make their own salary, whatever they can enforce. Uh, Sinners was a catch-all phrase for irreligious people. Uh, those who were non-Jewish religious people were considered sinners. Some of them had a very immoral lifestyle. Some of them were ordinary sinners, ordinary people. Some of them would be non-Jewish people, Gentiles. They were all sort of just sinners. The criticism we see in verse 2 But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is the religious Jewish leaders, they muttered, you know, under, sort of under their breaths, sort of like they don't want everybody to hear, but it's kind of low enough that it just kind of rumbles and everybody does hear. 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Everybody knows that's dumb, right? Um, the religious leaders tended to focus on rule-keeping rather than their relationship with God. They were Jesus' most hostile critics. Jesus was willing to take his meals at times with these people who were tax collectors and sinners because he cared about all people. And that's really clear as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus cared about all people, not just religious Jewish people. For a religious leader, just talking to irreligious people was taboo. Um, eating a meal with someone was an intimate experience. Now, think about this. In the first century, uh, sometimes when they ate meals, you know, you, you get into a little close quarters in a, in a smaller room, and you might be lying down on a couch, leaning in toward a table, and you might be sharing the food, and people are dipping in the same place you're dipping. And you may be drinking from a common uh, mug, and so that's kind of a more intimate. And it was viewed that way in the culture. It was very important, having a meal together. This wasn't the first time that Jesus was criticized or had an encounter with the religious leaders of the first century Israel. Earlier in Luke chapter 5, he uh, was invited by Levi. Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. Now, Levi was a tax collector, and his name was also called Matthew. And Levi, Matthew, invited Jesus to a party at his house. And so Jesus went to Matthew's party. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Next slide. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It makes no sense to us. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. This is a spiritual issue. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. That's why it's a spiritual issue. But sinners to repentance. Jesus came for a spiritual issue to call people to repentance. Let me just remind you about what repentance is. Repentance just means to turn to God. And the idea of turning to God is, okay, in my first uh, 25 years of life, I was an unbeliever. I did not have a relationship with God. I sometimes was religious and sometimes went to church. I was not a genuine follower of Christ. And I was headed in this direction. But somewhere in the year, when I was 25 years old, I placed my faith in Christ. Actually, it was September 29th, about 4.30 in the morning. I placed my faith in Christ, and I turned to God, and I embraced the gospel. That's a picture of repentance. It's turning to God. To turn to God, I had to turn from something. It didn't mean I was going to be perfect, but it brought a change that came from God, 
And it wasn't me just trying harder. It was real. It was genuine. That's what Jesus means by repentance. Jesus did not come for those people who saw themselves already as righteous. Jesus came for people who knew they needed help, that they needed a relationship with God. Jesus came for all people, not just for the religious Jews. Spiritually healthy people don't need a doctor. But the problem is the religious leaders of Israel did not know that they needed to be made righteous. They, they were spiritually blind. They didn't know that they had a spiritual illness that was uncurable apart from Jesus. Question for us. Do you intentionally hang out with people far from God like Jesus did? You know, it is a choice. It, because, you know, as a, as a brand new follower of Christ, all my friends were unbelievers. And so as a brand new follower of Christ, it was just real easy for me to, I want to tell you what's happened to me. You won't believe this. This is what's happened to me, you know? And this was right after I graduated from college, and, and my friends knew I was trying to be smart and majoring in philosophy, and I wanted to be intelligent, etc., etc. And now i got to tell them what happened to me. But I was anxious to tell them. And some of them just looked kind of stunned. Wow, you are weird kind of thing. Many of them were quite fascinated and took the time to listen to the whole story Maybe six or eight of them place their faith in Christ afterwards. And you know what happens, though, is after this time, my life goes on and I get more involved with believers and get involved in the church, and that was all good, and I, I was able to grow. But guess what? You start having less and less friends who don't know God yet. And so you have to be really intentional to take time so to spend time with people who aren't Christians, who aren't people that think like you all the time. That's what Jesus did. He could have easily just hung out with people who like to talk about the Bible. But Jesus chose intentionally just to open himself up to people that were way different than him. And those people who responded, he would take all the time of day he needed or that they needed. And I just want to challenge us. We have a mission to help people connect with God. We can't do that if we're just together. Now, one of the biggest reasons I think that it's hard today for us is because you and I think we're too busy. You and I think we don't have enough energy or enough time or enough money to do something else. I don't think we have a lot of good reasons. I just think we think we're full. We don't have anything left. And all I'm saying is, if it's going to change, we have to choose to readjust priorities. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus' kingdom 
is about reaching out. Yes, there's a place to encourage one another and build up each other and help each other and love each other. And we're to do that while we're on mission. That's why we have the strength and the resources to be on mission is because we're building each other up. But that's not the end. Guys, we're not even to the story yet. Let's look at the, the story in verses 3 through 6. And this is the answer to Jesus' critics. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus? Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Now, you probably know that sheep and shepherds were very, uh, very much a common part of first century Israel landscape. At the end of the day, a shepherd would gather the flock and count them because he, he had to have an inventory. And, you know, a small uh, flock of sheep was 20. It's easy to keep track of 20. It's a little harder to keep track of 100. A large flock might be 200. Might be more than one shepherd. But apparently here there's only one shepherd. So he counts the sheep. One of them is missing. One of them is lost. And he cares. It's not just there's a financial loss. For us, it'd be a few hundred bucks. It's a financial loss. Now, what does he do? Count my costs. It's lost a few hundred bucks. Okay, I got, 19, I got 99 left. No, he drops everything. He even leaves the 99. It says something about value here. And he goes after the one because he cares about the one. So he searches, he decides his priorities, and he finds the one, and he rejoices. So this story has uh, two essentials here. We could say three. The, the, the search, the shepherd searches for the one lost sheep. It requires effort. Um, and he, not only he searches and he, he does it until he finds it, and then he has to carry the sheep on his shoulders back because sheep just don't drift back, you know? And he, he makes this sacrifice to bring it back to the flock, to restore it back. And then there's the celebration. He celebrates with his friend. That which was lost has been found, and I'm so thankful. Would you just... I want to tell this. So grateful. And uh, he rejoices. So the lesson is in verse 7. Here's why Jesus told this story for his disciples with all of those religious leaders present. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Who are the 99? I think Jesus is using a little bit of sarcasm here. Those 99... Righteous are those people who think they're righteous and don't think they need to have their relationship changed, who don't think they're lost. And he's referring to the religious leaders in the audience. They don't need Jesus. 
and they think they're great, and they think heaven's excited about them, Jesus is saying, no, there's more excitement over one person who realizes they need to place their faith in Christ, and they do so, and their sins are forgiven, and they're given eternal life. And heaven will be their home. Always remember that eternal life begins when you place your faith in Christ, not when you die. So the lesson, heaven throws a party when just one person comes to faith in Christ. Heaven throws a party. And by the way, in the first century, when you talked about heaven, what were you talking about? To talk about heaven, there will be more rejoicing in heaven Heaven was a way to talk about God without saying God's name because everybody knew where God was. God was there. It was God who was rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. What does God think about people? He rejoices when just one places their faith in Christ. Heaven throws a party. The audience understands that when Jesus is using the word heaven, that, they, that Jesus means God is the one who is celebrating. When you placed your faith in Christ, there was a party in heaven. It was about you. There was a celebration. Your name, people knew who you were. The angels knew who you were. God knew exactly who you were. And there was a rejoicing. You may have been four years old. You may have been 14. You may have been 24. You may have been 54. You may have been 84. There aren't many in here that could say that. I was 84. I don't think there's anybody in here that could say that. Okay, we've got one more story, verses 8 through 10, the lost coin story. The story is in verses 8 and 9, and here it goes. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Jesus is back to the lost theme. Now, the 10 silver coins could have been a wedding dowry. That's possible. Doesn't say. May well have been her life savings. Um, one of these silver coins, a drachma, would have been uh, valued at a day's wages. So if you lost a day of wages, would you go look for it? She had 10 silver coins. If this was her savings, it probably took years to amass 10 silver coins. So what do you do? Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds that yes, that's a no-brainer. She would search tirelessly. You ever lost your cell phone? I've lost mine so many times. I have to have Sue call it. I lose it in the chair. I lose it in the couch. I lose it in the car. I've lost it more times in the car. And, oh, I can't lose this. Do you know how much it costs to replace the cell phone? Yes, you do.
When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors. I've never done that. And she says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. She is so grateful. She is overwhelmed with her good fortune. Her cup isn't half full. It's all the way full. And she just lost. She just found what she already had. And her cup is overflowing. So again, the essentials, there's a search and there's a celebration. Something was lost, a coin, and it is found, and that is good news. And we come to the lesson in verse 10. In the same way, Jesus said, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. And you can imagine that's another way for Jesus to talk about God. Because where the angels of God are is where the presence of God is. In the presence of the angels. Who else is in the presence of the angels? The Father is. Something was lost, something was found, and there's a celebration. Jesus wants everyone to know God thinks that when just one person comes to faith, it's about rejoicing, it's about celebration, it's about having a party, it brings joy to the Father, it brings joy to Jesus. It brings joy to the angels in heaven. And the lesson, heaven throws a party when just one person comes to faith. Why? It's because he loves you. That's why it's such a big deal. It's because God loves you more than the shepherd loves the sheep and more than the woman loves her lost coin. He loves you. Because of the, you have value in God's eyes. He loves you so much that later Jesus would die for you. He would sacrifice everything so that you could have a relationship with him. And that's good news. And that brings us to the good news. It's good news for all people. Later we're going to go to Luke chapter 19, but Luke 19.10, let's look at that. This is... Uh, what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, another tax collector, and we're not there yet. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This was Jesus' mission. This is why he came. This is the good news. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm so grateful that as far as I tried to run from him, he found me. And I was lost, and he saved me from my own sin penalty. And that is good news. There's another passage, John chapter 4, verse 23. Sometimes it's overlooked. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and uh, he encountered her at Jacob's well, and they had this conversation. She, she had been married five times, now she was living with somebody that wasn't her husband, so she'd experienced some failure and some heartache. And he's talking to her. He's not judging her. He's treating her with grace and kindness. And he says, yet a time is coming, and it's now come. Now, he says, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is still seeking. God is seeking right now. 
The Father is seeking people who will come into relationship with Him, who will place their faith in Jesus Christ, who will become worshipers. It's hard to become a worshiper or to think there's any value in worship if you haven't received the gift that God has given. To understand how great God is and how great His gift to us is. And that's why we want to worship and we want to say thank you, God. The Father is seeking people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that means in the Holy Spirit. That means coming into a relationship with God that puts us into relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then to worship Him in truth. And we have to come to Him in truth. Meaning the way God designed the relationship, not the way people want to create their own religious views. God has revealed in the Scriptures how to have a relationship with Him. And He's given that to us. And He wants us to respond to His truth. Not the truth that we imagine or want. But what He has communicated to us already. Good news. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us. In this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was because of His love. That's why He's seeking. He's still seeking. That's why the church is still here today so we can be involved in his search. And he demonstrates his love for us, for every person. And he did it by sending his son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died because we needed him. We were sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All people are sinners. The Pharisees were sinners. They were super religious. The sinners were sinners. The tax collectors were sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. All are sinners. And Christ died for us. It means the wages... Uh, all are sinners. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. There are consequences for sin. Ultimately, it would lead to death, spiritual death. Jesus also called it hell. Consequences. Why did Jesus die? So we wouldn't have to take those consequences on ourselves. He took our consequences. He took... Consequences were spiritual death, total separation from God forever. He took our death. He died for us. We had a penalty. He paid it. It's paid in full. And it doesn't be benefit anyone until they individually respond back to God by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. You know, I, I've told you before, when I grew up, I learned this verse. I just pictured, I remember the first pictures from space, from the astronauts looking back at the globe. I just pictured God loved the globe. I didn't know it meant he, meant he loved me. That here it was, whatever year it was, 
He knew all about me, and he knows all about me today. For God so loves me, and he so loves you, that he gave us one and only son who would die for us, that, here it is, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever. The offer is for every person. And I know that today there are a large number of you in this room have responded to that and placed your faith in Christ. But if there's one person here today who's not placed their faith, I would just like to give you an opportunity to place your faith in Christ this morning as I close our service. Uh, one of the ways that you can believe in the Son, one of the ways you can believe in Jesus is by prayer. It's an expression of faith. To believe means to trust. It means to have faith. It means to rely upon. And one of the ways that you can place your faith in Christ is through a prayer. So I'm going to state a prayer, and I'm going to say it two times. And the first time is just so you can think about it. Does this prayer make sense? If the prayer makes sense, I want to pray it a second time. And then I'm going to ask you to pray with me silently from your own heart, okay? If that made sense to you. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you know that God has not forgiven you your sins, I want to invite you. So the first time, you don't have to bow. Just, you can just watch me here. Here's, here's, here's the prayer. It's going to go like, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. And I trust him right now to pay the penalty of my sin. And I want to ask God to help me to be the person that he wants me to be. I want, him, I want to ask God to help me to learn to follow Jesus one day at a time. It could be that simple. It's just a way for you to respond back to God by faith. So if that prayer made sense to you, I want to go through it a second time, and I want everybody in the room to bow their heads. And uh, if that prayer made sense to you, uh, just pray silently with me from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, for my sins. And I trust him right now to pay for my sin penalty. And God, I ask you to help me to become the person you want me to be. I ask you to help me to learn to follow Jesus just one day at a time. Now, if you prayed that prayer, would you mind just slipping up your hand? If you prayed along with me, just slip up your hand. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand. Okay. Father, I just thank you uh, for the promise that Jesus has made. I thank you for his love and for his sacrifice. I thank you for um, those who have placed their faith in Christ. Lord, I want to pray for all of us, God, that you would grow our hearts to be like yours, that we would care about people who don't have a relationship with you yet, that we would be intentional about reaching out to people 
that we focus on having your priorities be our priorities. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.